Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Amazing was our anointing service last Sunday. Hey, for those who weren't here, our anointing service, every year we start off the year by praying for every single individual in our church. So we can commit 2022 to God. And I can just say it's such an honour and a privilege that we get to pray with you and commit your year uh, before God. And then, because we'd been fasting for two weeks, or a lot of us have been, we broke our fast together and had some lunch. So, so good. You do the work, you get to party afterwards, hey? It was good. I just want to thank everyone who helped make that happen as well. It doesn't just appear. People make that work. So thank you. We also, Pastor Bronson, last week he finished up our Fresh Air series. And that was a three-part series. And the points were renew the mind, refresh the spirit, and rekindle the flame. You know, if you miss those messages, please jump onto our podcast Jump onto our website and have a listen. It is a great way to start off a new year. But today, I have the honour to share something that God has been talking to me about, something that he is, has been putting on my heart. And I just pray that it is something that someone here needs to hear today. Do you know, my message may bless you, it may challenge you, uh, it may encourage you, but whatever it is, I pray that God gives you a thought to take away. Do you know, this message came about as I read one of my favourite scriptures, and many of you will know this scripture. I will reveal it soon, not just yet. But as I read that scripture, I read one verse further, and it prompted my heart to want to dig a little bit deeper and unpack what the verse was all about. Do you know who sometimes we can read, knows sometimes that we can read parts of scripture and we don't get the full context of what God is actually trying to tell us or what he's trying to have us understand? And sometimes, I know it's not just me, we adapt scripture to what we want to hear, don't we? Do you know, or maybe what we want it to say, we adapt it to our situation. You know, that may be a little bit controversial, but let's be honest, we do it. We all do it. But before I go on, let's just pray. I just want to thank you, Father, for every person in this place today, God. I pray people have come searching, ready to hear something, God. I pray you anoint my words, you touch people's hearts. And I pray that what I have to say, God, transforms and comes alive for people today. We thank you for that in your mighty name. Amen. You know, for those who don't know, along with my incredible husband, we have three beautiful children. My daughter, Joelle, who was 15, who was on the keys today. Ethan, 13, who's on the sound desk. And Roman, 5, who is mucking up in kids' church, I'm sure. Do you know, most of the time, my children get along well. I'm not sure. I'm kidding, aren't I, really? <laughs> Whoever's parents here, you know. But let's say most of the time they get along. Most of the time the house is peaceful, the house is quiet, there's unity. But there are times when it is totally the opposite. Who knows that as parents today? Do you know, Ethan and Roman, <laughs> I love them, but they have an almost love-hate relationship. You know, they will get along so well. And then suddenly it sounds like someone's being tortured. And, you know, guess what? Surprise, when does it mostly happen? At bedtime. My mum and dad are trying to wind down for the night and have an evening, yeah? So, you know, it will often start with giggling, you know, and then there's talking and then it goes to raise voices and then it goes to screaming and then it starts crying. That's how it escalates, yeah? And when you go to check on what happened, Roman is straight away. He's dobbing on Ethan, yeah? He won't leave me alone. 
you know, he won't let me play with him. You know, he hit me, he yelled at me. That's Roman, yeah? But as we dig deeper, we find what really happened. Roman has jumped on top of Ethan's bed and he wants to wrestle. He wants to play with him. Ethan wants to go to sleep, yeah? Roman won't leave him alone. So it starts to get rough, doesn't it? And Roman doesn't want a bar of it. He just wants to play, yeah? Um, So context. What actually happened? What actually happened? Now, I could go in there and think that Ethan's done it all wrong, but mostly it's the other way around. You know, in life situations, it's really important when we read scripture that we understand context. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced something when it happens, you think it's this thing? But then when you actually have the context explained, you're like, oh, that's actually what happened. Actually, okay, I see that very differently now. So today we're going to turn to Jeremiah 29, 11. The words will be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with me. Very popular uh, scripture, I'm sure. Everyone, most people would know this. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I think most of us would know this verse, am I right? It is used a lot in giving messages as an encouragement that God has something for you, that God has, you know, has you or has something coming up for you, has a hope and future for you. You know, it's the next couple of verses that really prompted me to dig into what this passage was all about. And I wanted to research it to understand the actual context of what God is trying to say to us here. So I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 12 and 14. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Do you know, when we read this scripture, we often stop before we get to that action step that's required by us. Seek me with all your heart. And then there's that promise. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. What's this exile that he's talking about? What is this saying? Do you know, I had seen and I had read this scripture many, many times, but I have never looked at it in context, I hate to say, and in the fullness of what God was trying to tell me. So let me share with you what I found. Do you know, Jeremiah 29 is a letter from the prophet Jeremiah, and he wrote it to the elders, the priests, and the prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. The kingdom of Judah had fallen, and all the Jews were taken into captivity. And now we need to go back and understand what was happening in this time. So Jeremiah 29, 4 to 14, bear with me as I read a little bit. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. 
Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you back up and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Take a breath. Long scripture. Does anyone here enjoy restoring things? Restoring. So, you know, maybe bringing an old piece of furniture back to its former glory. Or maybe you're into restoring cars. I know some people who are into that. Or maybe you like to renovate homes and bring a home back to its period, its nice period form. Do you know, have you ever tried, if you've ever tried to, you will know that it is an art. There is a lot of work to it. And it's a process. Yeah, it's a process and it's a skill of stripping back layer by layer with the right tools, the right chemicals. It takes time, patience. This is why I would never be a restorer. Commitment and effort, it is if it's done correctly. And it, it's basically a master craft. You really need to know what you have, what to do to make it work. So we're going to have a look on the screen now. It's going to be an image. This here is an image of, I need my notes, it's a, the lost Charles Dickens portrait that was done in 1843 and it was found in a sale in South Africa and, it was, and they restored it. This is what happened. It was full of mould and they restored it back to its original. It looks brand new, doesn't it? So this is how they found it and this is what they did with it after their process of restoring. This restorer knew exactly what they were doing. So I know someone else who's in the business of restoration, and that's God. It is his skill. It's what he does. He is the restorer man. He's it. He restores people. That's his job. That's what he does. Do you know, the the definition of restoration in the Webster's Dictionary says, a bringing back to a former position or condition and a restoring to an impaired or improved condition. But what does restoration mean in a biblical sense? It means when God leads people back to him who are estranged or distant from him, when God forgives sin and gives hope. And this is what God does in Jeremiah 29. That's what it's about. This is what Jeremiah 29 is about. God's restoration of his people. You know, what has happened here? Why was this letter needed and what was the need for restoration? Why did God have to come and restore them? Do you know, the Jews had forsaken God. They had started to worship false gods. They were worshipping them. They were taking on the pagan god practices. And you know what? God just couldn't allow it to continue anymore. It was happening, but he said, no, can't allow this to continue anymore because he loved them so much form of discipline. So he used the Babylon Empire to take his people 
captive and uproot them from their homes. You might say, gee, that's terrible. But he loved them so much, that's why he did it. You know, Jeremiah 29.5 says, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. We see here that they're given instructions to go on with your life. Basically, what is that telling them? You are going to be here for a while. That's what God's telling him. You know, this is a form of my discipline. You need to spend time in here. The period of exile was 70 years. Do you know, some people would have been born there and never left. Some people went there in their middle age and, they're hot and they died there. So some people, all they knew was exile in Babylon. That's all they knew. But God is going to teach them and the way he's going to teach them is by giving them what they wanted. Okay? Do you know, often God gives us what we want in order for us to realise what we need. I'll say that again. Often God gives us what we want in order for us to realise what we need. Do you know, the people wanted to worship false gods. Do you know, so God was like, you want to deny me? You want to rebel against me? Okay, if this is what you really want to do, no worries. I will let you go ahead and worship them for 70 years. Go, go for it. To your heart's content. And then after this period, once you've done it, you will realise. You will realise what you needed and what you needed was me. Yeah, it wasn't to worship these gods. It was me. It was the Lord. You know, it took Babylon. It took their place of exile for the people to realise that. To be taken out of their comfort of where they did their normal life. To be put somewhere where they were foreigners for them to realise what they actually needed, and that was God. Do you know, this is true in our lives too. Can you relate to that? Some of you may not be in a good place. Do you know, you're not right with God. You are rebelling. I'm talking to myself today. You know, we've stopped listening to him. We've stopped seeking his guidance. Or maybe you never started. Maybe you've never started. And maybe the reason you're in that position is because you got what you wanted. You got what you wanted and now you've realised is what you need and what you need is not that great. What you wanted was not that great. You got it? You know when you're into something and then you get it and you're like, ugh. So I remember my daughter, she really wanted something and she got it. She's like, okay, pushing us for so many months. <laughs> then she got it and it's not that great after all. Hey, now, can anyone relate to that? You have wanted something so desperately, but it doesn't, when you get it, it doesn't rock your world. It doesn't change anything for you. Do you know, I remember a time when Ethan, he was about five, and we were at a swimming pool because Joelle had a, a party, a swimming party. And I took him along to play in the water while she was doing her, her party. And um, I said to him that you can only go up into the water up to your chest because I wasn't dressed for the pool, okay? I was dressed to watch, Okay. And I said, only go up to your chest because it was a wave pool. And as the waves will come, if you keep going, it's going to go over your head before you know it. Everyone knows Ethan here, so you know, you know where this is going. But of course, he knew what he wanted and he wanted to be in the deep end, yeah? 
So he inched his way, you know, a little bit further back as mum's standing on the side and I'm losing track of how far he's going and he's edging back and then all of a sudden a wave comes and he's under. He can't swim. Ethan can't swim. So what happens, mum jumps into the pool, lovely, and so do other people to rescue Ethan, yeah? As soon as he realised what he wanted was too dangerous and could have got him into serious trouble, what he needed... You know, he, he, he got what he wanted, but what he needed was to stay at a safe level in the water. But he had to experience it to understand what happens. Yeah, he has to understand what happens when you get what you want, but it's not what you need. Yeah, and that's what happened to him. Do you know, for a season, God does the same thing for us. He gives us just enough rope, doesn't he, to get ourselves into these situations for us to nearly hang ourselves. Yeah? So we can come back to what we need and which is him. So we come back to him. You know, this is what happened to the Israelites. They realised after a time that they needed him. It is here that we see the heart of God. Do you know, he could have said, you've made your choice. I don't want any part of you. I'm done with you. Really. They've chosen to worship someone else. Okay, you've made your choice. I don't want anything to do with you. That's what God could have said, but no. He tells Jeremiah, write this letter down and make sure they read it. Make sure they read it so that, I, so that they know that I'm not done with them. I haven't given up on them. You know, we see God's mercy, yeah? And this is the same for us today. We make our choices. We exclude him from our decisions. We do things our way. We disregard his words. But you know what? God never gives up on you. I thank God he never gives up, yeah? He never stops thinking about you. Why? Because you know what? If it was me, I would. I'm done. I'm done. It's all right, Joelle. I don't when you make mistakes. I don't. You know, because he is the God of restoration. That's why he doesn't. That's why. He's the master restorer. And no project is too hard for him to bring back to its former glory. And nothing you've ever done or nothing you will ever do is too much for God to bring you back. Someone needs to hear that. Someone needs to hear that today. So now let's pick it up back at verse 10. It says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I'm going to stop it there in that first part of verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We use this one all the time. Do you know the, those words, it literally translates as, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Are you grasping that today? How precious that is. God thinks about us. Us, you, sitting in your seat. Do you know, we look at the Israelites who are leading their sinful, you know, rebellious lives in Babylon. But God still wants them to know. He still wants them to know, I haven't forgotten about you. I know the thoughts I have for you. Even in their sin, he's still thinking about them. He had not forsaken them doesn't matter where they're at. Same for us today. 
Do you know, they may have been banished from Judah, but they had not been banished from the heart of God. He still loved them. And that's what we need to hear today. You know, maybe you find yourself in that place, far from God, running your own race. No, this is for you today. He still thinks about you, everything about you. He has thoughts for you. Do you know when you're just first in love and you're thinking about someone all the time, they just consume your mind? Some people know that. I still know that. It's my husband. It's still happening here. Do you know that when you're constantly thinking? That's what God does. He is constantly thinking about you. Yeah? He'll never leave you regardless of what you do. And some of us have done some things. Yeah, we all know. We have done some things. You are dear to his heart. Yeah? Of course he grieves when we sin. That doesn't give us the thing to do whatever we want. He grieves when we sin and that we're, when we're far away from him. But it doesn't stop his thoughts toward you. That's what you need to remember. Do you know Psalm 8, 4 says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Do you know, David here is blown away. He's like, God, what the heck? You're thinking of human beings? Like, think of who it is. This is God, the creator of the universe, the almighty. And you think about us? Like, who are we? Do you know, he is blown away that God in the vastness of the universe thinks about us specifically. And not just as humankind, as Kylie. Do you know? As Salwyn. As Michaela, that's how he's thinking of you. Not as a whole group, individually, specifically. You and me. That is so precious. That is so precious. Then the second part of verse 11 reads this. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, and this is often used out of context. That God wants to financially bless and prosper you. He wants to make everyone rich. That's how, how we sometimes read this, yeah? Do you know, in the Western word world, when we see the word prosper, we think finance, money. That's what we think. You know, why do, you th- why do we know that that is not what this is saying? I'll tell you why we know. Because the Bible is true, okay? And to test how true it is, no matter where you teach it, whom you teach it to, what generation you teach it to. God's word is relevant in every language, every nation, every race, every tribe, and every generation. And it needs to apply to all people in all places at all times. Right? So if someone in Uganda is living in a mud hut with no clothes and cannot feed their children, this needs to be true to them. So prosper can't mean finance. It can't mean prosperity, financial blessing. It can't mean that. If the keys would come, that would be great. So what is God actually saying here? The Hebrew word translated prosper you is the word shalom. And shalom means peace peace. So the promise of prosperity that God makes in this passage is actually a promise of shalom, 
of peace. Do you know, God wants His overarching peace for your life. Do you know, He's not promising you new cars. He's not promising you a new home. He's not promising you new shoes. Women, it's not new diamonds. Sorry. It transcends all material things. He wants us to experience His peace. Church, the world needs peace today. Peace. If people's minds had the peace of God, could you imagine how different our world would be today? Could you imagine in the situation, especially what we've gone through with COVID, if God's peace was on them? What would the change of attitude be like? Do you know, he needed to let his people know this because let's remember, he took his people, he plucked them out of their homes, yeah? They were taken captive and they were moved to a foreign land where they knew nothing, had nothing, and knew no one. And they were captives. So this brings what? Anxiety, uncertainty. What does this mean for me? What's going on? And he needed to know what he had in store for them. Yeah? And that it was greater than their material possessions. What I have for you is greater. It was his overwhelming peace. That's what he had in store for them. You know, and then we get to the next part, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, the Israelites, they're separated from their homeland and they're thinking, God's probably done with us. You know, we've done all these things. There's no more chance. You know, he's actually banished us out. You know, I'm forgotten. It's probably what they're thinking. But what God is telling them here is that there is a future after failure. God doesn't write people off. And someone here, many people here, we need to hear this today. Do you know, there is a future after your failure. doesn't matter what you've done. Do you know, the promise for a hope in the future is not just for some. You know, it's not just for this front row. It's for everyone, every person, every generation, every place, every race, all the time. That's the promise. Do you know, if he says to the Israelites who rebelled against them and worshipped other gods and bowed their knees to someone else, do you not think that this is for us? Do you not think that he has this for us as well? That he has a hope and a future for your life, for my life? Do you know, there is a future after your failure. When you get to heaven, church, ask Peter. He knows. There's a future after failure. Don't look at your past. God wipes it, restores it, layer by layer, cleans it, brand new, yeah? There is nothing that you have done. Now, someone has to hear this. There is nothing, nothing that you have done that makes you ineligible for this. Nothing. The, things that, the thing that stops us is what? Ourselves, Yeah? We make ourselves unworthy and we disqualify ourselves, yeah? We allow our shame and our pride to keep us separated. It's not God, it's us. We do it. So let's look at the next part, 29, 12, 14. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. 
and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You know, let's look at that invitation that God gives us. He gives them. If you call on me, if you pray to me, if you come to me, if you seek me, what? You'll find me. Not maybe if I hear you, if I have time, you'll find me. We'll find God. There's no maybes, church. You know when you ask your parents, can I do this? Maybe. And they're like, is that a yes or a no? Maybe. There's no maybes with God. It's if you, you will. If you, you will. No maybe. Do you know, it's so easy for us to forget that God is only what? One prayer away. One prayer. You know, and that's not a a three hour on my knees, worship music playing, the heavens falling down. That could be an utterance of your heart. One prayer away. He is so near to us. Do you know, sometimes we look at what is going on around our life and we create this huge gap, this huge void between us and God. We create it. We put our situation or or our circumstance or what we've done, we put it, our sin, we put it in place between us and God. But that's what sin does. It does separate us, right? But that's why we have Jesus. Because He closes the gap. That situation is removed and Jesus steps in the place. And there's no longer any gap. It's you and God right here, right together. Just a prayer away, restoring us into relationship back with God. Hey, Do you know, when we look now at this Scripture in its entirety, we see what it's about. And it's about God's restoration. That's what it is. Restoration in God comes with repentance. We need to own our sin. We need to own it. Our wrongdoings, we need to hand them over. To let it go. So why? So God can strip it back, layer by layer, layer by layer. Apply His mercy, apply His grace. You know, like those chemicals that clean, apply, restore, part by part. You know, we need to let God remove the layer of shame, remove the layer of pride, remove the layer of hurt. Back to the original you. Let God restore you. Let Him give you His overwhelming peace, shalom, which is what He wanted for you. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Do you know, I don't see any little notations or any little asterisks, you know, depending on what you did or, you know, how far away you strayed or I don't see any of that or how badly you were beaten up. No, it says the old has gone. The new is here. It's a declaration for us today. The restorer wants to restore you. Do you know, and there are some things today that we need to hand over. We need to let God restore. And maybe you don't even know. Maybe you're in a place you don't even know that you've fallen or there's some things that you need to God to restore. 
You know, maybe some of us have lost our way. We're just doing our own thing, going through life. Or maybe you're here and we don't feel worthy. We don't feel worthy of this restoration. Or maybe you think that your failures have disqualified you from having this restoration. But I want to encourage you today, there is a future after failure. And his name is Jesus. There's a future after failure. Why don't we just close our eyes today?